0: everyone, welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum radio show here on True Talk 800 AM APDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to better understand and defend your faith the same way Jesus did. I have the privilege today of interviewing one of the founding members of the Worldview Academy, Bill Jack. Bill's background is an educator with 10 years of experience in public schools and 14 years with the Caleb Campaign, a creationist youth ministry. Bill has appeared on numerous national radio and television programs and is the producer of several apologetic and worldview training DVDs. He's a co-founder of Worldview Academy, whose mission is to raise up a generation who have the vision to reach their culture with the gospel, who have the valor to engage that culture with the truth, and who rely on the virtue of the Word of God. Bill lives in Colorado, has three children and two grandchildren. Bill, welcome
1: to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Roy. It's good to be with you.
0: I want to start with something from the front page of Worldview Academy's website. It reads, The year was 1996. Bill Jack, Jeff Baldwin, Randy Sims, and Todd Kent envisioned a place where Christian students could learn to live courageously in the hope of Jesus. The four men came together with differing gifts and talents to realize this dream and create a community where young believers could seek a deeper understanding of their faith. 40 students and a handful of staff gathered in Tehuacana, Texas, for a week-long, biblically-intensive summer camp centered on worldviews, apologetics, and servant leadership. 24 years and over 42,000 students later, the mission is still the same, to train Christians to think and live in accordance with a biblical worldview." Wow, what an inspiration that history is, Bill, and what a cool testimony of God's faithfulness and His work over the last 25 years. Take us back to that time in 1996. What was going on in our culture that made you think this training and education was needed?
1: Well, I had worked for 14 years up until that time with another youth ministry. It was called the Caleb Campaign. And its mission was to train students, to assist Christian students and teachers who were in the secular schools to share their faith legally, effectively, and aggressively in one of the most foreign mission fields that most American Christians will ever see, and that is the public school. And uh, (laughs) during that time, during my tenure with the Caleb Campaign, I became acquainted with Jeff Baldwin, another founder of Worldview Academy. He was working for another ministry and. He had been approached by Todd Kent, who had this vision to train students at a younger age than was being utilized at the time. And so he knew Randy Sims through their association as young Christians. And the four of us got together and we were all working for different ministries at the time. And we kind of did this for a couple of years on the side. It was a very unique experience because we all came from different theological backgrounds. We Mm. all came from different experiences, and we all had different gifts and unique styles. Mm. And it was amazing how God knit our hearts together and formed us around this mission of training students mainly, but training Christians to think and live in accord with the biblical worldview in order to impact the culture. So, worldview at that time was a term that was being used a lot, still is today, but most people then as now really don't understand what it is. And so they're not thinking in terms of worldview, they're thinking more in terms of doctrine. I recall several years Mm ago, I think it was Barna did a research, and he came up with 9% of Christians had a biblical worldview, and only 51% of self-professing, self-describing evangelical pastors had a biblical worldview. But when you started looking at the list of things that he put as worldview, those were basically just basic doctrine. And mm-hmm. I would call them you know, the fundamentals of the faith. So he wasn't really even dealing with worldview issues. So it's even less than that now. And I think he's done a recent study, which shows that it's even more frightening. So I have job security, you know, (laughs) in what I do because I'm teaching worldview. So even though it's a buzzword, it has been for many years. I still don't think that Christians understand what worldview is. And basically, Mm -hmm. a worldview is even more foundational than a philosophy. A worldview is how you see the world and how you interact with it as a result of that. I use the illustration often. When we lived in Illinois, my first son was four years old before he moved out here. And I'd take my four-year-old, put him up on a 10-foot boulder, and I'd say, son, jump, I'll catch you. Now, you've seen little kids jump. They don't jump. They just step off. They're so trusting. I could have done that all day long. Caught him, put him back up there, caught him, put him back up there as long as my arms held out. But what if I had put him up there, said, son, jump, I'll catch you. And when he stepped off, I stepped aside, let him flip-flop on the rocks below, picked him up, dusted him off, put him back in the boulder and said, son, jump, I'll catch you. What would he say? Mm. He'd say, my mama didn't raise a dummy. I'm not jumping. (laughs) Would his heart still love his daddy? Yeah, his heart would still love his daddy. What would overrule his heart? His mind. Mm. So mm. what you pour into a person's mind mm. determines what they think. What they think will determine how they act regardless of their heartfelt faith. Mm. So that maybe is the best illustration I can come up mm. with for a worldview mm. because we've got good. a lot of Christians who love Jesus with their hearts, but they're trained to think secularly. They're trained wow. to think according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according mm. to Christ. And that's Colossians mm. 2.8. You know, we are commanded, we're warned, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception, according mm. to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, mm. rather than according to Christ. And we've got a lot of Christians who think secularly. You're free once a week to climb out of your box of secularism and go do good deeds. Paint the widow's house, attend church, maybe even go to a a weekend retreat. But don't you dare bring your faith to bear in the culture around you. Secularism is the belief there may or may not be a God. But even if there is a God, He's irrelevant in history, art, science, literature, music, philosophy. It's a privatized, personalized religion. It's false pietism. And that is what is so disgusting about secularism. Secularism is not neutral. It's hostile. Hmm. And that's why it's so amazing to me that in the recent election, say in Virginia, When things were turned upside down or right side up, if you want to say it that way, in the school board election, especially. Yeah. What happened was when Terry McAuliffe, the candidate for governor, said that parents have no business telling educators what to teach. He wasn't saying anything shocking. He was stating industry standard for the past 50 years. Now, he thought he could get away with saying it. And that's what upset parents because they had never heard that before. That was the industry standard. And when I was teaching, I taught for 10 years in Illinois. And Mm. when I was teaching, the Illinois Education Association's motto was, we teach the children. Now, there is an arrogance about that statement. We, we teach the children. You parents, you stay away. That is an arrogance, but that is secularism. The mm. schools have been divided. What did Jesus say in Luke eleven fifty two to a group of lawyers? He said, you lawyers have taken away the key of knowledge. Well, that's curious. That's a curious statement. What's the key of knowledge? Well, we all know that. The answer is what? It's fear of the Lord fear is the beginning yeah, of knowledge. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it says in Proverbs. Now, here's the question. Is fear of the Lord the basis for every subject that's taught in the secular schools?
0: No way. No, it's not even (laughs) close.
1: Why are we sacrificing our children to Moloch?
0: Mm, mm, Because
1: that's exactly what we're doing. We're rolling Mm. them down the arms of an idol filled with fire. We're Mm. burning them to death. We are scorching their minds to the truth of the word of God. Wow. And we are seeing the results of that in the culture. And so worldview is not about a privatized religion. Worldview Mm. Academy is about that God is sovereign over everything, that there is Mm. jurisdiction, that there is the family, there's the church, there's the state, there's the individual, but there's also the employer-employee relationship. Mm. And we need to think God's thoughts after him. In all of those areas, we are so out of whack in our culture that it's almost impossible for us as Christians to think of how we're going to correct the problems that we face like they saw in Loudoun County, Virginia. But if you think changing a school board is going to undo the education of all those teachers from who've Mm -hmm. gone through the secular school system. It's not going to change Mm. anything. You think it's going to change Mm. the curriculum? No, it's not Mm. going to change the curriculum. You think it's going to change the administrators' hearts? No, it's not going to change the administrators' hearts. Are we going to restore fear of the Lord as the beginning and foundation of education in these schools? And the answer is no. Not unless parents, once again, take jurisdiction back from the state Mm. and accept the responsibility that they have as the authority for educating their children. So Worldview Academy seeks to come alongside parents, to come alongside the church, to complement, that is with an E, so complete what they're trying to train them in their homes and in the churches. And Mm -hmm. the greatest compliment with an I that we can receive at the end of camp is for students to go home and say, mom, dad, they were telling me what you've been telling me for the past 15 years. (laughs) That's the greatest compliment we can hear because what we're doing is we're trying to come alongside parents. We're not going to replace them. We want to complete what they've started in them so that students leave owning their faith at the end of the week. They come Mm. often on the coattails of their parents' faith. We want them to leave, and we see this happen frequently, understanding that Christianity is more than a privatized religion. It is a very public thing. It should inform your economics. It should inform your choice of entertainment. It should inform your politics. It should inform how you view law and the arts. So that's what Worldview Academy seeks to do. If you were
0: to summarize what a biblical worldview is in a few sentences, how would you do that?
1: The illustration that's often used is that it's much like a set of glasses. It's the Mm. lenses through which we filter reality. And there are two big questions that any good worldview will attempt to answer. First question is, what is the nature of God? And Mm. the second question is, what is the nature of man? if a person answers those two questions, I can pretty much tell his worldview. And it's Mm. not magic. It's just that a a biblical Christian worldview answers those two questions radically differently than any other worldview out there. We break down worldviews into four categories at Worldview Academy. A theistic worldview, which is a God-centered worldview. Mm. Then opposing that is an atheistic or atheistic worldview, mm. a belief in no God. Mm. There's also polytheism, a belief in many gods, not little bitty many gods, but several many gods. Mm. And we normally think of the Greeks and Romans when we think of polytheism, but in our country, we had a polytheist a few years ago who ran for president. Mormons are polytheists, they believe mm. that they mm. can become a God. So polytheism is alive and well. Many of us have neighbors who are polytheist. And then the third one is pantheism. Pan meaning everything Mm -hmm. is God. I'm God, you're God. Mm -hmm. My shirt, very stylish shirt that I'm wearing, is God. And so everything is God. (laughs) So those four categories are the categories that we use to separate. Now, underneath theism, you have Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. They separate it at the person of Jesus Christ, who is Jesus. And the Mm. Muslim is saying he was a prophet. The Jew is looking for a Messiah who is yet to come. And the Christian is saying, no, he's come once. When he comes again, he'll come in judgment. So they divide Mm. at the J word, if you will. So those four categories can be really boiled down into two. And that is either God is or God is not. So secularism is the umbrella term under which I would list all the other worldviews outside of the theistic worldview. And secularism, again, is the belief that there may or may not be a God. Mm. But even if there is, he is irrelevant. We are all Mm. secularized to some degree. Those listening, we all have friends and neighbors that we go, I know they are believers, but how can they think that way? about the culture? Mm. How can they act that way? How can they support this cause or that cause and still claim to be Christians? And it's because we're schizophrenic in our approach. Mm. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, was to love God with all, heart, soul, strength, and mind. Now we tend to compartmentalize each one of those. We tend to separate those categories. Jesus wasn't separating. He wasn't saying four different things. He was saying the same thing four different ways. Mm. And what he was saying, the emphasis was love God with all. Mm. But what we've Mm. done is we have compartmentalized. When I taught back in Illinois, I was your worst enemy. Because as a Christian, I taught youth in my church, but in my literature class, never mentioned the Bible. Never mentioned the most influential piece of literature in Western civilization. First book read in outer space, international bestseller. First book printed on a movable type printing press. Now, why did I not mention that in my literature class? Because I bought into the lie Hmm. of separation of church and state. When I walked in my classroom, I put my heart, my faith in the bottom drawer of my desk. When Hmm. I walked into church on Sunday or Wednesday night prayer meeting, I put my mind, my intellect on the shelf in the foyer. Wow. Because I knew if these two ever came together, I would literally explode. So secularism is not neutral; it is hostile to a biblical worldview, but we are all have all been taken captive by secularism. Mm. And what we are to do is we're not to be taken captive by secularism, but we're also to take every thought captive mm. to the obedience of Christ. Second Corinthians 10:5. Mm. We're to destroy mm. arguments and take every thought captive. We don't do that. We think about economics secularly. We think about the arts secularly. Mm. We have a privatized religion.
0: Bill, how would you say the Bible answers those two fundamental worldview questions? What is the nature of God? What is the nature of man? What's a short summary of how the Bible answers those two questions?
1: God is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He is sovereign over everything. He is the creator, created from nothing. He's spoken into existence. The Bible is very clear about who God is. What we have distorted is not only that, but also the nature of man. We tend to really think that people are basically good and we downplay the depravity of man. But we are to fear God. But once you fear him, he removes fear of everything else. That's why Paul wrote, neither life, nor death, nor height, nor depth, nor anything can separate us from the love of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And I tell Mm -hmm. students, if you want to be fearless before men, and if you want to be wise, there are two words you need to remember. Fear God. He's God. I am not. Mm -hmm. And I am subject to Him. It is only by His grace, His mercy, that I have peace with Him through faith in Jesus Christ. He initiated that. There's nothing that I did or can do to please a holy God. I am reprehensibly flawed.
0: Yeah, that's good. Well, I know you take a very firm position on creation. So strong, in fact, that I know you catch flack from fellow Christians, maybe even people within your own ministry. Why do you think it's so important to be so adamant about creation?
1: The question of origins is foundational. A friend of mine is an evangelist and he used to roof houses for a living. And he told me one time, he said, Bill, if the foundation of a house is cracked, the house is jacked. And I said, Craig, <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you can put the most expensive roof you want to on the building, but if that foundation is cracked, It's going to leak like a sieve. You have to jack up the foundation before you can put the roof on. What is Mm. the foundation of everything that we as Christians believe? I think it can be found in the first three chapters of Genesis. Okay, for example, why are we wearing clothes? Well, it goes back to shame. Where do we get the idea of shame? Well, from the fall. And that's found in where? Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Where do you get the idea of marriage, family, Mm. law, Mm. government? Mm. Where did we get this notion? All of those things are found in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Where did we get this notion that there had to be a God-man who had to penetrate time, space, history, and die in my place because I'm a sinner? Genesis 3, 15. Every doctrine of the Christian faith rests upon the foundation of those three chapters. And the opposition is very, very deliberate about undermining The foundation of Genesis as the Mm. basis for our faith. And Roy, I guess what puzzled me the most, and I've struggled with this for many years, because we do take a very firm stand on a six day creation, we don't compromise on that at all. I'm curious, and I've been puzzled for so many years by well educated, very accomplished, very experienced Christian apologists from whom I've learned many things who do not take a firm stand on the issue of Genesis being literal. And the only thing I can come up with is it's that we in the Christian community want to maintain credibility with the scientific community. We don't want to be viewed as backwoods, Bible-thumping, snaggle-toothed idiots who are not sophisticated. They want to maintain credibility with academia. Mm. My question is, Mm. credibility with whom? With men or with God? May God be found true and all men be found liars. There's nobody any more anti-evolution than a former evolutionist. Mm. I have held all the positions one can hold on the question of origins as a Christian. Mm. raised in a family that taught me to believe the Bible and a church that taught me to believe the Bible. But because of my education, I came to believe that evolution was a fact. Mm. By the time I was in college, I tried to mix these two together and I became a theistic evolutionist or the popular term today is progressive creationist. Mm. And it wasn't until somebody challenged me that I had to rethink my view of origins and the reason behind it. I was so steeped in a secular view and evolution that it took me about two years to rethink my view. And so that's Mm -hmm. why I am absolutely adamant and uncompromising on this Mm -hmm. issue of what Genesis 1, 2, and 3 says is true history, that these days are days, unless you show me something in Scripture, that tells me I should think otherwise, that I'm going to hold to what Scripture says.
0: Hmm. Well, Bill, thank you so much for sharing your passion and your conviction and your wisdom with us today. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, Roy. Appreciate the opportunity. It's worldview.org, and hope people check us out. Now, how about you?
0: Have you been seduced by years of anti-God public school indoctrination? Have you been deceived by progressive pastors from weak churches who don't really believe in the authority of scripture or teach from the same foundation that Jesus taught from, which is an absolute fear of God and trust in his word? Do you need help in developing a biblical worldview that can be the foundation of all of your thinking, not just for spiritual matters, but for everything in life? The Ambassadors Forum is here to help. Go to our website at theambassadorsforum.com to find lots of helpful resources. And if you have young people in your life, make sure you visit Worldviews Academy at worldview.org. They have excellent Christian summer camps where your middle school or high school student can receive world-class biblical instruction and be prepared to engage the culture with courage. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.